0: Hey, we're on page 117, chapter 1, 102, and we're on the topic of, Where, where am I at? Something? 17? Really? Hey, at least there's one in there. What is on 117? Let's go there. As if I have time to do this, but bye, cracky. It's suggested reading tonight. That's right. Lewis Berry Schaefer, he's a great, I got several of his books. But that's right, Inspiration and narrative on page 17, for those you hooked on correct numbers like me, uh, 17, we talked about that, is, is the Bible reliable? Because that's really what the issue is. And yes, it is, and that's the great news. And what we're gonna see is when you doubt that, as we saw last week, if you were here, it up when that opens up Pandora's box, okay? There's great comfort, there's great strength in, in knowing that when we read what we read in the scripture, this is it. This is not subjective truth. This is not, well, maybe it is, or half of it is, or, well, that's your interpretation, Ruth, and that's in yours, Mary. I you just never, you just whatever, you pick and choose, and it. no, it's not. This is from God. Okay, and what better source of wisdom than to have a book from God that really did come from God. You can know it came from God. It says it's from God. We'll get to that tonight. And so when you do it, you know, this is the best. Who's smarter than God? Please don't raise your hand. Okay, that's right. Okay, nobody. So, I mean, this is it. It's right here. The best thing you could study, the best thing you could read, the best thing you could follow. It's the Bible, and it really did come from God. That's the topic of inspiration and inerrancy. Inspiration, of course, means it's inspired of God. We'll get into that a little bit tonight, okay? It really did come from God. It was God who was leading and guiding this. Number two, inerrancies, we saw that means without error is the issue, without error, okay? A lot of skeptics want to attack it, but uh, and basically if somebody comes up and says, well, the Bible's uh, full of contradictions and errors, really? Show me. And then most of the time, that covers about 99% of it. But if somebody wants to come back with a supposed error, uh, just do your homework. It's right there uh, in almost every single time. It's completely wrenched out of context. That's not what it's saying, okay? But let's continue on. Is the Bible reliable? What are inspiration and inerrancy? We left off on page 18, as opposed to 118. eighteen. Eighteen. Does the Scripture claim inspiration? Because you might say, Well, that's your opinion, or that's just Sunrise Baptist Church. You guys, that's what you think the Bible came from God. Well, what does the Bible say? And God says, no, this came from me. Okay, and it's all over the Bible, okay? As Feinberg states there, at the heart of the belief of an inerrant, infallible Bible, okay, notice not an infallible man. Does anybody teach that there's men on the planet who are infallible? This guy, they believe, is. And when he speaks, it's infallible. Don't think so. Man is fallible, but God is infallible, including his word, okay? Infallible Bible is the testimony of Scripture itself. Scripture itself has much to say about its inspired nature. The Apostle Peter writes, but know this first of all, okay, preeminence, importance, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. Well, that blows away the comments today, isn't it? Well, that's your interpretation, John. And as we saw before, that's not the question you should be asking. You should say, you're right. Who cares about my interpretation? Who cares about your interpretation? What does God say? That's the question we need to be asking. But what it came about, it's not about somebody's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. Men didn't whoop this baby up. It's impossible. Okay? But men moved, is your first blank there. Men moved by the Holy Spirit. They uh, spoke from God. Okay. Now this gives us some insight into how inspiration took place. The Greek verb translated moved here is pharaoh meaning to bear, to carry, to bring forth. Something else that's significant is the verb and the form it's in, it's in passive. Therefore, we could say that the prophets were carried along by the Holy Spirit as they wrote, okay? And this is not some automatic writing, Okay. Uh, that, I was familiar with that back in the New Age. And basically, you know, and sit there and the people get themselves into an altered state of consciousness, which could happen in various forms. It could be through uh, uh, physical exercise, breathing exercises, drugs, uh, just all kinds of different things you can do. Repetitive movement, repetitive speech, all kinds of things. And all of a sudden, the people, if you're if familiar, unfortunately, with the occult, is they'll, just, they'll be on a piece of paper and they'll go, you know, whatever like that. It's uh, just a bunch of scribbling, and that's automatic writing. It's supposed to be the spirits communing with them. That's not what we're talking about here. And believe it or not, I remember back in Bible college, I had this guy come up to me. He said, hey, hey, Billy, check this out. The, the, there's a, the, the Spirit of God's doing a new thing in the church. You got to check it out. And he literally shows me on this paper. He says, I was, in, I was in the Spirit, man. I was praying with God. And all of a sudden, he had this like notepad thing, several pages. And it was this stuff. I was a brand spanking new Christian, man, only a few months old. And I mean, it literally was just scribbles like this. I'm going, oh, are you serious? He goes, yeah, God gave me this. And I'm going, dude, this is the occult. What are you talking about? And, and then I says, you can't even see what it says anyway. I said, well, come on. And then he brought out another pamphlet. He says, no, but God gave a, a lady the interpretation of these scribblings and then wrote down in English what supposedly these scribblings were saying. I'm going, are you what? First of all, that's automatic writing. Second of all, that's not even what the gift of uh, tongues and, and interpretation tongues means. Okay, it, this is the occult coming in the church, Lord William. And the rise of apostasy, we'll get to that. What do you see what's happening in the church behind the scenes. But excuse me, what, what, what's wrong with this? Why do you have to sit there and get into some altar city consciousness? Just, and somehow spiritualize it. What is wrong? Just crack this baby open. It's cool, it's fine. It's inspired, it's inerrant, it's without error, it's okay. You don't have to add to it. You can't add to it. In fact, the Bible says, don't you dare do it. All right, God's gonna add to the plagues mentioned in this book, okay? Don't mess with it, it came from God. Okay, therefore we could say, The prophets were carried along by the Holy Spirit as they wrote. This same verb is used in Acts during Paul's journey to Rome. The ship got caught in a storm, and the sailors lost control of the ship, and the ship was simply driven along by the wind. This is a perfect picture of how inspiration took place. The men in the boat had the freedom to move around in the boat. Okay, they weren't just sitting there going... (laughs) They were able to function. They were able to move. Okay, they moved around in the boat, but the boat was actually being controlled by the wind in the same way in the process of inspiration The men had the freedom to express their own personality and writing style And that's where a lot of people say no this book really did come from paul because paul's got a certain style God was using his style. Did you know that god will use us as christians individually with our individual personalities? Right, how many guys actually think i'm ever gonna stop sharing corny jokes? It ain't happening. I grew up in Kansas out in the middle of nowhere with Buffalo. You had to do something to keep yourself entertained and corny jokes is it. Right? That's my personality. Praise God. Let's close in prayer. No, let's continue on. God uses us with our personality. He did the same thing when it came to the authors of the Bible when he was inspiring them through the Holy Spirit. This is not some I'm in a trance. Oh, How many guys glad that I don't do that when I preach? Yeah. praise god that's right anyway that's right uh and so that's what was going on the boat was controlled by the wind in the same way men had the freedom to express their own personality and writing style but the process was watched over and controlled by the holy spirit green states the word was used of a ship carried along by the wind and the metaphor here is that the prophets raised their sails and the holy spirit filled them and carried their craft along in the direction and here's really what it is as god wished man spoke god spoke it was God using them. He used their personality. Paul used sarcasm and things of that nature. He used their individual personalities. Each one has their own different styles because this wasn't some automatic thing. God was using the individual, okay? There was a, a joint effort there, but be rest assured, God's in control. Now, I just wanted to share this. We talked about this, I think, briefly before. Let me contrast this to other supposed uh, inspirational, if you will, writings, okay? You know, people sit here and want to doubt the Bible. They want to accuse the Bible. They want to attack the Bible. They want to say, no, this didn't come from God. Uh, it's full of contradictions and errors. They would rather, in the church, the example I gave you, resort to sensationalism, which is occultism, in the church, and say, oh, God spoke the new word from God. You know, they'll go through all that. But they won't read the Bible. And another thing that people, even in the church, we saw the stat last week, you got 4% of Christians said they visited a psychic during the week at least once during the week, I think it was the stat if you recall, and as opposed to 3% in the world. More Christians are going to. It's like, what happened to the Bible? Excuse me? Okay? And, uh, but anyway, but uh, a couple other sources that people have that they'll listen to, okay, is that one guy. Remember that guy, Nosehair Domus? Yeah, Nostradamus is what his name is, but it might as well be But because people are being fooled, okay? Oh, they announced that on the History Channel. What do people do? Hey, get the babysitter, do one of the kids, put the dogs out, we're watching this show. Whoa, this is hot stuff. What do you say? Maybe we could learn when the end of the world is. Let me give you an example of just how absolutely ridiculous his, I don't have time to go into the complete study of him. Okay, but he, here's his inspiration. He put them together in what was called quatrains. Okay, writing style uh, in there with four lines there. And uh, let me read to you of two of them. And here's just one example, okay? The year, 1999, seven months. From the sky will come the great king of terror to resuscitate the king, the great king of the Mongols before and after Mars reigns by good luck. At 45 degrees, the sky will burn, fire to approach the great new city. In an instant, a great scattered flame will leap up when one will want to demand proof of the Normans. Folks, there you have it. That is the quatrain used to prove that Nosher Damas predicted 9-11. That's it, right there. Man, is that so awesome? Oh, that's just so called. Cool. What? I'm not kidding you. That's the one that they say, oh, it's right there. It's right. And here's what they do. They, first of all, they say something like, well, first of all, uh, 1999 isn't too far off from 2001, right? And the references to fire and terror sounds like an aerial attack, right? N- New York City is close to a 45 degree latitude. Actually, it's more than 40. And then they say, well, well, well uh, the, the, the Mabus mentioned there in the context there, uh, the word Mavis, Mabus, M-A-B-U-S, uh, 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 has a U and a B, and some of those letters spell Osama bin Laden. I'm not making this up. This is all documented. And on and on it goes. And you're going to base that, that that predicted 9-11, and you're going to buy that book. As soon as that happened, people started coming out with this, while Train," 9-11, the thing went crazy on the bestsellers list again. Got more mileage out of that guy. It's like, why You'll read this. You'll sit here and go, uh, you know, John 3, 16 or John fourteen six, and, and it's like, oh, I don't know. That's your interpretation. But you'll listen to this guy. And then you got to understand, it's not only completely vague and ridiculous. You need to understand where his inspiration came from. The Bible came from God. His came from witchcraft. Okay, he used a process that was called scrying. Okay, <laughs> no, it's not that wrong. It's kind of a different form. And you will cry if you start using it because you're li- linking up with demons. Okay, scrying is what they did. Was what they they get themselves and, into a, like a, a divination process. Okay, and uh, he would literally like stare into a bowl and into things that nature. Get yourself again into an altered state of consciousness. Uh, you can with and, and taking uh, hallucinogens and things of that nature, and you get your mind to an altered state of consciousness, and you start seeing things, you start hearing things. That's where he got his information. Witches use the same process today. It's called scrying, and I'm supposed to listen to him. I'll, I'll, I'll block out my schedule and say Hey, yeah, honey we better put it on DVR. i got, i can't miss that nose hair dama special i right, know the big one that's coming down the pike not only him uh is the big mayan prophecy 2012 as we all know the world's gonna end that's right december 21st coming soon to a planet near you in just a few months right are you kidding me i still want to let's all get together and have a Big old uh, December 22nd party or something, just to prove the point. No, it ain't going to happen. And again, it's the same goofball things when you study what's going on with the so, uh, supposed Mayan prophecy, okay? where What is their inspiration? First of all, you need to understand their culture. They were d- steeped into astrology. Once again, they too used hallucinogenic drugs to get their visions, they spoke to their dead ancestors, which is necromancy. Okay, the scripture forbids, uh, Deuteronomy 18. Uh, and they were also uh, completely barbaric. They, they, they were a, a practiced human sacrifice. Their religion was polytheistic, meaning many gods, and in order to appease gods, that's why they sacrificed people. They even did auto-sacrifice to sacrifice themselves. And the whole reason was because they believed that the Son was God, and he needed blood to appease him, and so they had to kill people and all that stuff. And, and that's where you get your predictions. I'm supposed to listen to you. You'll sit here and scoff and mock over Paul's writing style. Was the book of Hebrews really written by Paul? And you'll sit there and listen to these guys. Oh, the world's I made you no, I don't think so. The Bible came from God. That's where the inspiration came from, as opposed to men who are fallible, okay, and certainly fallible if you're involved in hallucinogenic drugs and the occult and witchcraft and human sacrifice. I don't think I'm going to use that as my source. Okay, let's continue on. Here's what he says. He says this, but the uh, Apostle Paul states, all scripture is inspired by God. Shouldn't blank there, inspired by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Here the Greek word translate inspired is Uh This is a compound word meaning God, theos, okay, and to breathe out, newo, okay, like pneumatic tire, air, Okay. Uh the scripture is the outbreathing of God. The outbreathing of God. Guys, Lord Nick's make this conclusion from 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16. Tom. They use the word scripture. Scripture is what it is. Now that's that's a code word if you will uh in the Bible. When they say scripture, it just it, it's not a Christianese word like what we mean. It's a technical term and that's what he explains here. It has a technical sense in the New Testament and may be readily seen by its specialized application. The term is reserved in its definitive and articular sense uh, for only the authoritative and canonical books of the Holy Writ. For the devout, although converted Jews who wrote the books of the New Testament, to describe any other book by this technical word amounts to claiming inspiration for them. So when they attributed another work as being scripture, they meant this is from God. Okay, and let's take a look at what he says there. As a matter of fact, this is precisely what Peter claims for Paul's epistles or letters when he writes, Our beloved Paul wrote to you, as also in his letters, which the untaught and unstable distort as they do the rest of the what? Mm -hmm. Scriptures. Pay attention to that. Here, Paul's writings are considered scripture in the same sense as the Old Testament writings referred to earlier in the same passage. Although this passage does not claim that all the New Testament, it does include many of them. In uh, 1 Timothy 5, the Apostle Paul quotes from Luke, placing it on the same level as the rest of Scripture, using the introduction for the Scripture says, and it's referring to Luke. So it's a logical deduction here. Certainly, uh, if Paul and Luke's writings are considered Scripture, i.e. inspired of God, just like the Old Testament, which was verified by Jesus, we'll get to that in a second, then the epistles of the apostles of jesus and particularly those of the inner circle peter and john Which traditionally make up the remainder most of the remainder of the new testament Cannot logically be excluded from the category of inspired scripture. Okay, even back then this isn't just something that uh, That's you post-reformation denominational people you crazy baptist people decided to say this is from god No, they were saying this from god when they were writing it It's right there in the text Okay, the Bible says it came from God. Even the other writers, and not just the Old Testament, the New Testament were saying this is inspired of God okay, amongst themselves. So if all Scripture is inspired, here uh, referring to the sacred writings of the Old Testament, which Timothy had known from childhood, and the New Testament is also Scripture, then the New Testament is inspired. Okay? It is inspired. But wait a second. What if those crazy creators in the early church made a mistake? How do we know that they picked the right books that were truly inspired of God? Well, as we talked before, uh, this wasn't some willy-nilly process. We saw the Holy Spirit is the one who guided Okay, the process of inspiration, right? It wasn't just these guys, some altered uh, thing, and they weren't making it up by themselves. God used them and guided the process to record for us. Well, believe it or not, did you know that God also guided the process of what's called the canon or canonicity of the Old and New Testament? He didn't just inspire, but don't you think he has the sovereign power and ability to make sure that we get the right ones? And he did. And you got to understand, church history, it wasn't some willy-nilly process. There were several things. It was like, if you will, a funnel, okay, to have to go through if it's going to be a part of the, and this is the case of the New Testament, canon. Canon mean rule. This is it. Why do we have the books that we have? First of all, the reason why, uh, they were already there in existence. We'll see that in a second. But the reason why Uh, that they went through this process was because of heresy, okay, and false teaching and false teachers coming into the church. And guess what they were saying? God gave me a new word. They have all these prophets and weird things going on. And, And the church in large already had what was the acceptable letters that we have in the New Testament. But then they had to get together as a council and say, listen, now we got all kinds of whacked out people saying they're getting a new word from God. People do that today? Yeah. And so God used that as a catalyst to get the church together to put their, if you will, stamp of approval on no Montanus and other false teachers of the time that is not from god i don't care if you squirrel he had two prophets i believe the girls ladies that followed him around they're rolling around the floor and doing all kinds of weird stuff and coming up with new truths causing all kinds of confusion in the church so the church got together and says no we had better put our stamp of approval now early on before any of this continues so the church isn't duped by false teachers who also claim inspiration Okay, that's number one, the, the catalyst for it. Number two, there were some filters that they had to go through. They had to pass certain things. It wasn't just anything, and there was reason why certain things were rejected. They had to follow this filter. And one of the first filters was, was this a writing that can be verified from, the, as, from an apostle? Which is common sense, right? Because they were right there with Jesus. Okay? And, of course, with uh, the apostle Paul uh, as well. Uh, did it also agree, number two, with the rest of Scripture? right that's why a lot of these ones were rejected the book of thomas the book of mary the book of they always bring up the lost they weren't lost they were kicked out because they're full of heresy right they contradicted the rest of the scripture and the basic rules we'll see in the next chapter biblical interpretation the bible does not uh, contradict itself why because god doesn't lie it's a logical deduction right he doesn't speak two different things okay uh, But also because they were obviously full of false teachings. So number one, did it come from an apostle? Did it agree with the rest of the scripture? Was it already accepted by and large by the early church? Was the third filter? The fourth filter, I'll start putting them up here. The fourth filter was it circulated by the early church because remember when Paul would write letters he says oh and send this to the letter uh, this letter to Ephesus and to Colossus and other you know whatever and he said you know give them around you know was this already in the circuit as acceptable scripture in the church okay or is this some new thing that some guy uh, you know and so it had to pass that filter method as well does it come with the next one does it come with the power of God okay hey listen as cool as my corny jokes are right. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you. If I had a piece of gum, I'd give it to you. But that's right. Uh, Believe it or not, you put my joke next to the Word of God, and there's a major difference. You know what I'm saying? You put the best-selling novel, Tom Clancy or Ernest Hemingway, I don't care who they are, but there's nothing like the Book of Romans, man. Why? Because it's the Word of God. Do these writings, by nature of just reading them, just ooze the power of God? Okay, was another filter that they had to pass and then another one was it finally was it quoted By the early church because they're not going to quote heresy And so a lot and that's a lot That's just a few of these things that are going on that had to pass the test So this wasn't some willy-nilly thing but just like with inspiration be rest assured that this canonicity issue Was being guided by the holy spirit as well God made sure that we got what we got. And there's a reason why, a legitimate, logical, biblical reason, common sense reason why certain books were rejected. There is no conspiracy. They remained lost because they weren't lost in the first place. They were kicked out because they didn't make it through the filter. Okay? But people do all that just to get you to think there's some weird thing going on. They're trying to hide some truth. No, they're not. What's wrong with the Bible? Stick to it. It's okay. Okay? Become a master of this. It's, it's, It's all there uh as we can see there okay and so that's what we see now what was christ's view of scripture well thanks for asking junior that's a great question the evidence that jesus held that scripture is inspired and is without error is legion now that's a big discipleship 102 word tom huh yeah means important. Okay, uh, in Tantamount is another large one. In Matthew 5, Jesus states, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. Now that was a specific code word again. Now it's a reference to the entire Old Testament. That's how they said it back then. Okay, and he says, I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke. And he's talking about just little hash marks and little uh, things in the scripture. I mean, not even that's by chance. Is what he's talking about. It's all, and we saw last week. Remember that? Do you think it's by chance that the article was before when John 14, 6, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? Not just a way. No. It, that word's there on purpose. It's very emphatic. And that's what Jesus is saying. It's, it's the, even the smallest letter or stroke shall not pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Christ's claim here is that all is written in the Old Testament would be fulfilled down to the smallest detail. This affirms Christ's trust in the authority of the what? Old Testament, and thus its inspiration, right? Had to come from God. And again, he says in John 10, Jesus answered them, has it not been written in your law, I said you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken. Let me take a little detour here. This is a classic one. Uh, people say, "Well, the, hey, uh, maybe the Mormons, Mormons are right. We can become gods. That's what Jesus said. This is New Testament." No, if you go back in the Old Testament and read the context, he's quoting uh, Psalm eighty-two, and in Psalm eighty-two, the word "gods," by the way, is little g, okay, and it's, it's basically a vernacular that they were using for uh, the magistrates, okay, of uh, the people of the day, the rulers. And basically what he's saying, listen, and, that's, and if you read the context of which he's quoting Psalm 82 of this term gods being just rulers of the day, that's, that's the, the irony of the statement and the stinger that he's saying to the people. I mean, here I am. I am God. I am the son of God here on earth. And even, you know, the Bible, the Old Testament uh, says that you gave respect to the rulers of the day. They were treated as if they were gods. And here I am amidst you. And look at how you treat me except I'm the real deal, right? So you need to grab the context. It's not at all what it's teaching. It's a generic term. Do your homework, read the context. But here's the what, that's not what he's bringing this up in our study. He's bringing up for this what he follows that. He says, and the scripture cannot be broken, okay? Jesus says that the scripture cannot be broken and so is absolutely binding, while it is true that both passages emphasize the Bible's authority, this authority can only be justified if the scripture is inerrant. Something that contains error cannot be absolutely authoritative. If Jesus doubted the Old Testament, if it really wasn't all completely from God, why would he say it is binding, it cannot be broken? Right? And if y'all if you know the Old Testament, okay, the Old Testament, what was it? 308 or 316 over 300 prophecies were prophesied about Jesus first coming. by chance, and he fulfilled every single one of them, and there's another 300 about his second coming. I got a theory, and it goes like this, Orson. Hey, if he fulfilled the first 300, I think he's going to do the next. What do you think? Down to a T, okay? It is from God. Jesus also consistently treats Old Testament historical narratives as straightforward records of facts. Now, this is important Because a lot of people, a lot of skeptics will say, oh no, uh, that was just a, uh, Noah wasn't a real guy. That just really was a mythological figure to teach us a great moral truth. The boat represents humanity. In troubled waters are our troubled times. And that if we work together as the human potential movement and the human family, that we can survive anything and come out of, no, it was a real guy. And it was a real flood. It was real. And if you're a Christian, praise God, we get to meet him one day. You know what I'm saying? And I wonder, how, how do you make it with all those woodpeckers? You know what I'm saying? When you put them in a steel cage? What do you do? I don't know. But anyway, that's right. I got questions. Uh, he refers to Abel. Jesus speaking there about Jesus. Jesus refers to Abel. He refers to Noah. He refers to Abraham. He refers to the institution of circumcision. He refers to a literal Sodom and Gomorrah. He even sets his stamp of approval on such significant passages as Genesis 1 and 2. A literal creation right? Even the highly questioned book of Jonah was held by Jesus to be historically accurate. Is your blank there? We talked about this before, but I finally pulled out the exciting little proof thing. This is from a Princeton, man, how far we have fallen as a nation in our colleges. Princeton used to be Christian. Can you believe that? Princeton, a Princeton Theological Review in 1927 talks about this, okay? About, uh, you know, people, oh, that's, that, that can't be true. No man can be swallowed by a whale and survive. No, it's true. Recorded, 1927, Princeton, I got the actual deal right here. It says this, uh, it re-mentions re- a case that's exactly like Noah. A member of the crew of a whaling ship in the vicinity of the, vicinity of the Falkland Islands was swallowed by a large sperm whale, which had been harpooned. His boat had been upset by a lash of its tail. The whale was killed and dissected, and on the third day, the missing sailor was found inside the stomach of the animal, doubled up and unconscious. A bath of seawater soon revived him, but the skin of his face, neck, and hands, exposed as it had been to the gastric juice, okay, was bleached to a deadly whiteness and never recovered its natural appearance. Otherwise, his health was not affected by the terrible ordeal. Okay? And another one, a writing from Princeton, uh, they they took the time to uh, demonstrate that how even a a whale uh, may, in fact, rescue a man from drowning. Okay, listen. He points out that as the whale is an air-breathing animal, it has to expel from its mouth cavity all the extra water immediately after having received its food. Now, if any other air-breathing creature should get mixed in with its food and be carried by the influx of the water between the monster's jaws, the intruder would be transferred from the water in which it was drowning into the air supply of the whale itself. It could not enter the whale's stomach because of the narrow inlet, but it might reach the great laryngeal pouch, which starts below and in front of the larynx, and runs down into the neck onto the chest. It has thick elastic walls and a cavity quite large enough to receive a human body and to supply it with air for breathing." actual article 1927 do your homework skeptics whatever but oh no Missed that special sign knows meets the Mayan prophecy 2012 be there be square that's right and it's brought to you by automatic writing from Kellogg's. <laughs> no stick to the Bible okay let's do that right, let's continue on and that's what historically accurate Matthew 12 Jesus states the men of Nineveh Shall stand up with this generation. Notice that again, it's the literal guys that literally happened. Literal Jonah and Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment. Okay? And shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Okay, we talked about this before. Another neat thing that's going on with the account of Jonah is guess who the, the Ninevites worship? They worship the fish god. And so here comes a whale bleh, barfing this guy out on the scene. He's got a word from God. As we just saw scientifically, his skin is completely bleached white. So here's a guy bleached completely white, looking kind of freaky, got barfed out on the whale and says, I got a word from God. Do you think that got their attention? All makes perfect sense if you leave the Bible alone, All right. Jesus Christ never gave any indication that he doubted the full authority of the Scripture. In fact, it was just the opposite. Everything he said pertaining to it confirmed its full inspiration and inerrancy. Hey, well, how did the church view the Scripture? Well, thanks for asking, Holly. Paul Feinberg uh, states the following views of the early church father, two great reformers and a modern-day theologians. Um, in the early church, top of page 20, uh, Church Augustine Augustine wrote, he says, I have learned to yield this respect and honor only to the canonical books of the Scripture. Of these alone, do I most firmly believe that the authors were completely free from error. The two great reformers, if you're familiar with them, Luther and Calvin, bear testimony to the infallibility of the Bible. Luther says, but everyone indeed knows that at times they, the fathers, early church fathers, have erred as men will. Therefore, I am ready to trust them only when they prove their opinions from the scripture, which has never erred. And that's why he was able to take on the whole Roman Catholic Church at the time, right? And they wanted him to recant. And he says, basically, his famous speech to give you the vernacular, the Crone translation, he says, unless you can prove to me from the word of God that I'm wrong, I can't recant. He stood on the inerrancy and the infallibility of the Bible. And that's what he's saying there. And Calvin, another guy, uh, does not use, uh, he may not use the phrase without error, but there's a little question that he embraced Inerrancy of the writers, of the Gospels. He comments the Spirit of God appears purposely to have regulated their style in such a manner that they all wrote one and the same history with the most perfect agreement, but in different ways. We'll get into this because I think I'm going to do this study uh, before the years out, just a kind of a little break in our prophecy study. About really getting it solidified that this the book really the Bible really did come from God, and we're going to get into this because that's the, the thing man with it 's impossible when you look at the statistics from scripture we've talked about this before it was written uh, over about 14, 1,500-year time frame with 40 different authors from all different walks of life. Fishermen, kings, poets, statesmen, uh, peasants. and and They didn't even know each other on three different continents and three different languages. You got the Hebrew, you got a little portion of Aramaic, you got Koine Greek. Over all this time frame and never once does the scripture contradict itself, ever. Man on his best day can never do something like that. That's what he's talking about here. Okay, it is Perfect. Uh, with most perfect agreement, but in different ways. In modern times, one could cite the words of Princeton theologians. Listen to how far we've gone. And these are, if you know anything about the fundamental movement uh, that stayed the church off in the 1900s when they started to get liberal like Europe, which didn't stop, and that's why it's so dark today. We had men rise up in the church here in America and put a stop to it. They were called the fundamentalists, which has now become a negative term, hasn't it? And that's what staved liberalism off in our country for several, several decades Unfortunately, it's coming back. and It's been there for a while. Okay, but anyway, and they came from Princeton. Archibald Alexander, Charles Hodge, A.A. A. Hodge, B.B. B. Warfield, and C. C. Winans. Now, I had to say that because that writes itself, right? It's like, what are the odds of that? No, that was not there. That's new inspiration. No, it uh, has modern formulators and defenders of the full inerrancy and infallibility of the scripture. All right, October 1978, the International Council on Biblical Inerrancy called together in Chicago some 300 scholars, pastors, and laymen. This council made up of evangelical scholars from various denominations believe that inerrancy is an essential element of the authority of Scripture and a necessary ingredient for the health of the Church of Christ. The Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy was a statement drawn up by the members of the conference. It is uh, quite extensive, but point uh, four of the short statement, in a sense, summarizes the belief of the group. It states, being wholly and verbally God-given, God-given, Scripture is without error or fault in all its teachings, no less in what it states about God's acts in creation, about the events of world history, and about its own literary origins under God than its witness of God's saving grace and individual lives. It isn't just about the gospel message. It's everything. You can trust the very first page all the way to the very end. Genesis to Revelation, all of it. Okay, is what he's saying. And so why is this important? Well, because it keeps us from being tossed to and fro. And that's what he's basically ending here. He says, does it make a difference? Yeah. The difference is that the Bible being what it is, God's word and so absolute, God's objective truth, we do not need to be and should not be caught in the ever-changing fallen cultures which surround us. Those who do not hold inerrancy of Scripture do not have this high privilege. Okay, to some extent, they are at the mercy of fallen ever-changing culture and scripture is thus bent to conform to the changing world spirit of the day and they therefore have listen underline this no solid authority upon which to judge i'll say this they have no solid authority on basis to live to guide their lives why did our nation start going down the tubes Because we switched, even in our courtrooms, we switched at the turn of the 19th century and they started moving forward with the humanists coming in. We saw that before. Okay, we switched what was from called common law in our country to what's called case law and that's what we have today. Common law was built on what was called Blackstone's commentaries, and that was used in our legal system here in America for oodles and oodles and oodles of years. And if you look at Blackstone's commentary on law, it was all quoting scripture. Why do we do this? He quoted a verse. Why do we do this? We quoted a verse. That's how we practice law. Our country went back to the word of God, and that was our stability factor. Not anymore. They're very slick. They got us to trick our law into what's called case law. And no longer do we determine it on the Bible. We determine on, well, there was a case in Oklahoma in 1922 and that judge said that it was okay. That's where they came from. And once they switch from the absolute uh, authority of God, and now they determine cases, that's, that's the game that they play. That's why you'll see all these tombs of books, okay? And they'll say, well, let me find a case. 1917, Earl versus Earl. It was a family dispute, okay? And... <laughs> And they said that it's okay to eat cheese on Thursdays, you know, and see see that proves my point It's like That's how they determine it nowadays But see what what has that done now? It's up to man's opinion, isn't it? Well, that judge said this back in 1970 Word of god never changes That's why we had such great stability because it was based on the authority of god, okay? And that's what he's talking about. You don't have that high privilege You don't have that standard you remove the standard. It goes crazy and it hasn't taken long, hasn't it? As we saw in the early 60s, they took out prayer and Bible in the schools. How does that help things? How's that working for you, right? As the saying goes, not very good. Okay, you take away the standard. You know, I don't know about you, but man, kids seeing that um, thou shalt not steal and you shall not murder. Yeah, it's really bad for them. Yeah, okay, and to resist the views and the values of that changing, shifting world spirit. A proper understanding of the full inspiration and errancy of the Holy Scriptures results in our confidently basing our lives on them. When I first got saved, and I, man, what a a relief. I'm crying, I'm weeping, I'm laughing, it's just awesome. I'm just there by the bedside, still on my knees, I think, and and I'm just, finally, I don't have to keep searching. Because I was on a search, man. I tried self-help, secular psychology. I tried uh, uh, the human potential movement. I tried uh, uh, just. Uh, I tried the witchcraft. I tried the occult. I tried shamanism. I tried New Age's everything. I tried Eastern mysticism. I tried the meditations. I tried the psychotropic drugs thing to commune with the spirits. I did the meditation. Did all the exercises. Did all that stuff. And nothing worked. And finally, coming to Christ, it was like what a relief. I'm so. I don't have to wonder. Is this the right one this time? Is this something I could finally base reality on? And that's what he's talking about. We can confidently base our lives on them. These are God's objective truths written down for our benefit that we might know absolute truth, absolutely. Schaefer points out that those who do not hold to the Bible as God's infallible, inerrant word are to some extent at the mercy of the fallen, ever-changing culture. But for those of us who hold to the inerrancy of Scripture, we have a solid anchor which holds us in place, and God's objective truth by which to judge everything in our culture. And we've talked about this before, and Lord willing, when we get to the topic in our final countdown study, the one-world religion, I'm going to bring this up, and that might be a whole message just on this misnomer that Christians, we are not called to judge. Yes, technically, we're not called to judge, but uh, the Bible does. And when people say, well, don't judge me, you have no right to judge. I'm not judging you, but I am telling you what God has judged you. I'm just a newspaper boy. Yeah, you're right, I'm not judging you. I'm just reporting to you God's 10 judgments called the 10 commandments that are absolute statements. You see what I'm saying? It it doesn't mean that we can't share an opinion. We have to share an opinion. Our country was built on the judgments of God, the commands of God, the absolute standard, and the absolute commandments of God. That's what provided such great stability for so long. And then now even when we still have a copy of the scripture and we could still make a difference in our culture, they've come back with this lie that you're not supposed to judge. When Jesus said, he says, yes, stop judging a hypocritical judgment, but keep reading the context. The very next line, he says, uh, but make a right judgment. Paul says, are you ignorant of, of this? He says, is anyone in the church not competent to judge among each other when the behavior gets bad? He says, don't you realize we're going to judge the angels? Don't you realize? He and he's, he's saying, are you kidding me? Why aren't you judging anything? And technically, yes, it's not us doing the judging. We're upholding the judgment that's been there the whole time from God. Do you see the misnomer that's been played on us? And it's another trick just to keep us, uh, to keep our mouths shut so that we can't say anything negative about the culture doing whatever in the world they want. And that's why it continues to go down twos. So, but Lord, we might get into that in greater detail later. But for those of us who hold to it, it's a solid anchor, holds us in place, God's objective truth by which to judge, yes, judge Everything in culture, there are right and wrongs. It's just that God determines what is right and what is wrong. It's his judgment. The bottom line is since the Bible is inspired, you're blank there, God-breathed, and inerrant, Want to be a great day when we can spell that word inerrant without error? <laughs> it's a rough one. And it means air-free, we have the wisdom of the ages on which to base our eternal destiny and every decision of our lives. You talk about a comfort in a messed up world. No wonder Paul talks about, no wonder James talks about, you know, he says when, you, when we become stronger Christians, okay, which comes from here, which comes from going in a walk with Jesus Christ. He says no longer are you going to be infants, and what does he say? Tossed what? Two and fro, and over here. And one day, it's like, ah, oh, it's, it's a great day. And if you'd stay, have it based on the absolute word of God. I've said this before. I'll say it again. One absolute verse says this. For God's children. Anybody God's child tonight? All right. Once again, we got the little people in here, isolated. Who's not? We'll pray for you later. Many of you know this, right? No, okay. Uh, hey, guess what? Here's an absolute truth. This is awesome. You can bank your life on it. This will provide stability. You're not going to be tossed to and fro and to and fro. God says for his children, I'm going to work all things out together for good. Oh, That just calms things down, doesn't it? That keeps you from going, oh. Ah. And that's just one Verse. Just one absolute amazing promise from God. Is it any wonder that the enemy doesn't want us in here? Is it any wonder that he wants us to doubt, well, did it all really come from God? Maybe they didn't include all the books in there and there's some secret book out there they're hiding from us, right? Maybe Tom's got it right. He wasn't doing that. I should listen to that. He doesn't want you in here because this is where stability comes, not only in your walk with Jesus Christ, but there is our culture. And until we get this back in our nation, nothing's going to change. Let's close in prayer. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple of things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy? in Heaven we can become qualified the the word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against him and disqualified us that disqualified us for heaven right and we've actually seen this work in real life uh, for instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court. The gavel's been passed. The judge has said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty. Uh, You even admit you're guilty. And uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row? It's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. God bless.